You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the Bye. Bye. Have a Romeo and Michelle day, Chris. <laughs> I love Chris. He only rents from the adult section and buys poppers that we keep at the front counter. Which reminds me, we need to move them away from there because last week Marcy almost died because she thought it was a five-hour energy. Been there, done that. Oh, hey guys. Welcome in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast. Coming to you live from the TCQ video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. You mess with the wrong wasp, bitch. My name is Raymond. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Stick a Christmas tree up my bum and call me your star. My name is Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, our lovely holiday elves, to our second week in our Sleigh Bells Month and our 40th episode. Like, excuse me. Thank you. Wow, I didn't know 40 episodes. It's a nice We're, little it's, milestone. That is a nice little milestone. We've also hit well past 4,000 listens. We haven't like announced yes, it to everybody. Yes. Hello. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for coming into the store every week and listening to ridiculousness. Half the time when I'm editing, I'm just like, what? <laughs> if those openers didn't prove our buffoonery on the show, I don't know what will, but honestly, thank you for four four thousand lessons. What I would when I realized that we were at four k, I was like, let me go back and see the last milestone we posted, and I think it was like two k, which was only a few months ago, which is wild to me. So just honestly, thank you for the support from everybody, everybody who listens, everybody from the community. I really adore the group that we've had and the support that we've had within the podcasting community so thank you everybody oh my goodness on to the next one here at tcq video we are celebrating the holiday spirit the only way we know how with horror before we can begin today's merry old gay time we would love for you all to leave a comment and rate the podcast if you love what you hear hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming so we've gotten the legalities out of the way Let's move on to this week's recommended rental. It is time for us to hang the mistletoe, set a trap, and spread some Christmas mayhem and 2017's psychological comedy horror flick. Better watch out. And now, our feature presentation. Queerdos, the babysitting job gone to hell is available for streaming on Fubo yet again <laughs> and Amazon Prime. Otherwise, you're going to have to own it. This has become like the running joke that I did not know was going to be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to this man. <laughs> I am sorry to Fubo. I, I apologize. We have kind of like talked some shit. I apparently need to check it out because a lot of the movies that we've talked about this season are on this goddamn streaming site. <laughs> Literally, we need we need to check it out and then we need to like edit past podcasts so we, we can get a sponsorship. <laughs> we got a Marty McFly at Back to the Future to re-edit all of <laughs> The redo. Since we're talking about some weird craziness and our stupid banter, let's go to It's equally 420 Whatcha Smokin'. What did you smoke with this week's watch? 
This movie's wild. This movie's pretty wild. It starts off, well, we're, I'm not gonna jump into the movie just yet. I'm just saying it, it's pretty wild. So I needed something to keep me on track and also intoxicate me because it, it, it I'm <laughs> that gonna- horrible. I'm so gonna bad. admit right now, I know you have qualms about this movie and we I had to fight to get this on the yes, listing. You, you had to fight. <laughs> I had to fight tooth and nail to get this on the, on the pot. So I know we're gonna fight about this episode. I know we're gonna fight about this movie. I know we are, but it's okay. Usually our top listen to episodes are the ones where we fight. Like, <laughs> bitch, that's because they love to hear two queens go at it. Come for the horror movies, stay for the for the catty fights. <laughs> but in honor of Garrett, R.I.P., uh, I decided to roll a joint and smoke in his honor because I felt, well, I'm spoiling it now, but I felt really bad about his death in the movie. So R.I.P. in Garrett's honor, I smoked a joint. Oh, wonderful. Look at you paying homage and respect. Well, respect, I did yeah. not do that. I Before we came into this episode, we talked about it. I said, I have to go watch this movie without any preconceived notions, without any past emotions towards this movie. Mm-hmm. Because people, we'll talk about it in like two seconds. Give me a second. Don't hit that skip 10 second button just yet. I'll get to there, okay? <laughs> I smoked uh, a new pen. I smoked a new cartridge today. It is by the same company, Eureka. I really like these pens. It's a full gram. Eureka, this, you found it. This strain is mimosa. Oh. <gasps> Oh, that sounds like some rich bitch sauce. Rich bitch sauce got a rich bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It tastes like oranges. It's so smooth. Really? It's delicious. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. I had to have something strong. Only let's while we're sitting here smoking, let's talk about how you came to encounter this wild sleigh ride of a movie. This flew under the radar. This was not a big budget movie. This wasn't released like wide by any means. And like we've stated before, you and I have an affinity for holiday horror, for Mm -hmm. sub-genres of horror, but but specifically holiday horror. I love Um, holiday horror. So we love holiday horror. So when I heard about this and how under the radar flew, I was like, what? Like holiday horror? Well, technically like Horrors are ready to sell to like a major audience. So holiday horror is even harder to sell. So I guess I can understand why that flew under the radar, but I heard about this. I think I heard about it like on Twitter. Somebody, they were talking about it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I need to see this. But by this point, it wasn't released. Like it already had its small release and the only way you could watch it was by buying it. So I remember I specifically had to like go to Best Buy to buy this because they didn't even have it at Target. Like that's how small of a distribution it got. You're right about the low radar. I don't think I discovered this until maybe two years ago. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> patent pending, patent pending, patent pending. When you first saw it, how did, did you come in with any preconceived notions? Because the anytime I've ever talked about this movie, I tell everybody, don't look it up. Don't look at a trailer. Don't just go in blind. The best way to get this movie is to go in blind. I went in blind. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that it was holiday horror. And mm-hmm. from what I gathered, it was giving me um, like home invasion vibes. Um, so I was like, dope, Christmas, home invasion, classic trope, but whatever, I'm down. It's got a holiday twist to it. Um, it was kind of like giving me like home alone with horror vibes. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna talk about that a bajillion times when we talk about <laughs> the behind the scenes on this thing. So uh, I, that's why I was, it was an easy sell for me. So, um, 
I went in with no no preconceived notions. I didn't have any expectations. I just knew I wanted to watch it. And I think that's why I enjoyed it. And I think that's why you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> because you didn't like it was the only reason why I didn't like it. <laughs> you, in- you told me about this movie. You told mm-hmm. me to go watch this movie. You said it was amazing. Don't look at anything. I was like, cool, awesome, got it. Let me go, let me go do this. Shutter, by the way, was the one that had it streaming because this is hard to get a hold of. Was, I mean, Amazon Prime is a pretty big streaming app so anyone mm-hmm. can have access to it this one was hard to get my hands on and when i did finally get my hands on it it was like cool i can't wait to enjoy the enjoyment never came the enjoyment never came sis the enjoyment <laughs> never I, she never left the station i didn't make it to the station i'm still in bed i haven't even picked up the ticket when i first watched this movie I, all i could focus on was the main character luke i knew it he's incredibly difficult to get over and Mm -hmm. the themes of this movie and the things it tries to play with i feel like are totally overshadowed by that character Mm -hmm. however coming back to it taking my time and trying to observe it for what it is i have different feelings than i did when i first watched it i don't know if they're i don't I don't know if they're going to help this movie. But I, I <laughs> no, but what you said is totally valid because I even understood this the first time I watched it. And we're just, I'm going to give a little nibble of my feelings right now. I understand that he's an insufferable character, especially because he's like a spoiled white kid who's like Ugh, a brat. God. Well, we're going to touch more on that later. So I understand why that was so over, like it overshadowed everything for you. Totally mm-hmm. understandable for mm-hmm. me. And maybe because I worked with kids for like four years, I was able to kind of tune that out and appreciate everything else that was happening because mm-hmm. everything else that was happening, I loved. I thought it was great. I wouldn't say there was a whole lot of creativity behind it because it's not anything groundbreaking that we haven't ever seen before, but I liked what they implemented and I like that it all had this kind of holiday twist to it. So if you're looking for like a fun holiday kind of thriller romp, go into this with no expectations. <laughs> you touched on it. You touched on the 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 thing that I I feel like is my problem this time around is that they they don't really invent the wheel and I know they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. What they're trying to do is play off of the classic going to say it again. I feel like I need a timer. Home Alone vibes and mm-hmm. John Hughes vibes and wanting to create something that people are familiar with, but play it on its ear. And I don't know if it's fully successful. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention, I'll feel, I'll save my feelings. I'll save it. I'll hold it. I'll hold it. I'll hold it. Oh, she's used to holding it. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> so let's check out the VHS's special features and find out how this movie was made. Better Watch Out released October 6, 2017 in the US and November 23rd 2017 in Australia. We're going to have to practice our accents this episode. So sorry, everybody. Y'all aren't going to like it. We have oh, a it's going to be horribly offensive. <laughs> we have a runtime of one hour and 29 minutes. Very, very clean. I will say, though, that this movie doesn't feel that way. Not against it. It, right? it, it, okay, it pays I itself it w- very well. Okay, I thought it was just me. Go on. <laughs> and it is rated very d- d- understandable R. Hard R. Moving on to tagline, line one, singular, no, it's not plural. Because no. <laughs> taglines with Esco snaps. <laughs> you might be home, but you're not alone. It's cute. It's catchy. It's, cute. it's obviously referencing Home Alone, which this movie very much does. Mm-hmm. Um, so you by that tagline alone, you should kind of know what you're getting yourself into. You really should. You know, it's Christmas. You know, it's 
horror and less. Like, I think that's an easy sell for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our director, directed by Chris Peckover, who doesn't really have anything else except one other film, Undocumented, which was released in 2010. Which he also wrote and directed. And I Everybody who doesn't like um, us when we drool over menses, you have like, like just, just, ter- just mute us for like 10 seconds. Skip maybe like 30 seconds. Jesus Christ on a cracker. Ooh. This, this man, that's a man, Maury. He is beautiful, delicious. And I will say mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. this is directed beautifully. So, so he's talented too. Like what the fuck? <laughs> he is beefy and beardsy, just mm. like I like him. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, and totally your a, type. Totally so my type. Your type. So your type. So the delicious beardsy. Oh, I'm all here I for it. I don't think you could handle it. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can turn up the volume again, even though I don't know how to tell you that because this is all audio. Anyway, <laughs> our script is written by Zach Kahn with a story by Chris Peckover. Kinda. Maybe. We'll talk about Sorta. it. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. We Don't we usually, when it comes to scripts, for our starring cast, we have Olivia DeJong as Ashley, who is known from doing the found footage 2015 film, The Visit, which I actually did very enjoy. And mm-hmm. I really hope we can add it to the list someday. I agree. I enjoyed that one. But also, BT Dubs, I was looking at her IMDb. That was all acronyms, so I apologize for all of that. But (laughs) (laughs) she's going to be in the new Elvis biopic with, like, a whole bunch of other stars, including Tom Hanks. So she's about, she's on the up and up. And you can tell because her acting in this, I was thoroughly surprised and very impressed with her acting. Mm -hmm. I agree. She does a great job. I don't know if I want to watch an Elvis biopic, though. (laughs) It's by Boz Lerman. Oh, I'm on board then. See, that's what I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Queers. How how can you tell there's queers in the room? We start playing Moulin Rouge and we all come out. (laughs) Moving on, we have Levi Miller as Luke Lerner. We have Ed Oxenbold as Garrett, who would also still write alongside Olivia in The Visit, which is so fun. I love this. Yeah, we have Alex McKick as Ricky, DeCray Montgomery as Jeremy. Can I talk about Jeremy? Hello. Hello. He always plays the trashiest, douchiest character, though. Which is, I'm not, I'm at this point, I'm starting to think it's not a character. Oh my God. (laughs) 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 Moving on, we have Patrick Warburton as Robert Leonard. Kronk. All I hear is Kronk. From from Emperor's New Groove. Pull the lever, crunk. We also have Virginia Madison as Deandra Lerner as well. And hello, Candyman. This is horror royalty. Gracie. Oh, yeah. I knew I recognized her. Moving on to review. IMDb gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 65 out of 100. And Rotten Tomatoes, it got an 89% tomato meter and a 65% audience score. Those are, that's a pretty big variance in those percentages. That is a very, very big variance. And I think it makes a lot of sense because nobody really knows this movie. And it was like a critical darling at festivals, at Monster Fest, Fright Fest, Scare Fest, all the fests. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes sense to me. These scores, I feel like are, they're, they're they're equitable. I can I can invest in those. That's other lingo. Yeah, it's it's more than average, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna kick it out of bed. Six and a half. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a great way of putting it. I wouldn't kick it out of bed. Uh, yeah, it's passable. It's bootable. It's tootable, I mean. Oh, God. Moving on for our production, we have a budget of $3 million in Australia and roughly $2 million in the U.S. So we have a box office of crickets, honey. Crickets. We have a gross worldwide income of $176,000. I have, we've never, we've never seen this. And we've done the Leprechaun series. We've never seen this before. Wow. Whoa. That's like not even like a quarter of what they spent on this. Mm-hmm. Because if I remember correctly in the research, they only had about 25 theaters that showed this in the U.S. alone. Their biggest was, I think, in the U.K. with 100 theaters that opened to show this movie. No one went to go see this movie. Nobody went to go Clearly. see this Clearly. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like the only way you know this movie is through the grapevine, which are some of like my favorite movies, is when nerds upon nerds like let you know, like, you should watch this. Because yeah. this totally feels like that it feels like it'll be a cult classic soon i was just about to say that I, like i feel like this is gonna gain some notoriety and it's gonna be slowly become a cult classic and hey maybe one might be the catalyst for that moving on to script producers brian hamble and paul jensen would approach uh director chris peckover while he worked at universal trying to develop his script limbo they would give him zach Kahn's script safe neighborhood a horror christmas comedy he enjoyed the script but felt it lacked in areas and decided to change the format with Khan. he wanted to create an homage to one of his favorite directors john hughes and do his own take on home alone which very much shows <laughs> they even reference the goddamn movie they reference this movie a ridiculous amount of times and it's fine it's i get it you're trying to plan it and you're doing your own meta horror story of it it's fine i let it pass i really i do enjoy those moments so so that's where the script gets a little wonky only in terms of this is Khan's skeleton chris had involvement so we're gonna give them both credit you both get awards congratulations you are both america's next top script writers <laughs> i'm gonna go that far when it came down to casting it took over 200 auditions to finally find an actor capable of playing the sadistic bratty lead luke lerner they would eventually find it in 13 year old levi miller Almost every actor in the cast are from Australia, although the film was based in Chicago. The only ones who are not are the parents, Virginia Madsen and Patrick Warburton. And it kind of comes out when, at one point in the movie, when Ashley starts yelling at Luke, like her her Aussie comes out. Just really, just as coach, just as coach. I'll I'll try and bring it up. I'll try and bring it up. Okay. I don't think I caught it, but I was also high when I was watching it. <laughs> All you do, you, you keep smoking weed, 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 weed. For our production, the film was shot entirely in Sydney, Australia, in January throughout February of 2016. They would film on the Fox Studios' Sydney sound stages and the entire house and snowy lawn in one of the largest studios that they could gain. The lawn itself would reach as far back as 60 feet. On top of all of this, they created a giant open floor plan for the house to adapt new shots that they can try and get within the movie. However, I have to say, there, I think for myself, this is only me. There's only about a handful of shots where I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, but they redo it multiple times. It's that thing where you like just fall. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was very like crank or whatever, yes. like very mm-hmm. those action-y movies. Also, I can see why this movie had a $3 million budget. They were shooting 
on sound stages like at what that's a lot and the mm -hmm. and the biggest sound stage and building all this from scratch with the yard like you guys could have easily shot this like out of home i thought they shot this out of home and just flocked everything did you really because i fully know that this is a set i am fully aware that this is a set and i have a lot of things to say about this set <laughs> okay well, let's get to it so this bitch can read the house down boots. The worst thing about filming was that, yes, it is January in Australia, but people tend to forget that during this time period, it's summertime, baby. So once again, we have another production having to film in hot weather while trying to portray the snowy winter time. It's usually the case. <laughs> the fun of movie magic. It's well, hello. First of all, Australian is in the summer southern hemisphere, so their seasons are opposite of ours. Uh, also, it totally makes sense that they film these movies in like the summer slash spring, so that way they can edit them in the fall and then be released in the winter. So, unfortunately, the illusion is shattered. <laughs> what? What? Okay. Never mind. I mean, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get oh to it. my God. She is just ready to pop off. She's boiling over, sis. Pick me off the stove because I'm ready to go. <laughs> when isn't she ready to go? <laughs> By the time production got to filming the spider scene, they were running a bit behind on schedule and funds. The scene would have called for CGI spiders to crawl all over actor Olivia DeJong's face. Due to the pressure moving forward, the production almost cut the scene until DeJong came forward and expressed to use real spiders, even though she was terrified of them. She acted through her fear and unfortunately had to shoot the scene over five times. Her screams were authentic and real, bitch, and I would have died. I saw this in the behind the scenes and no, 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 no. You would have no. lost your shit. You wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have done it. Find the money. Find the money for the CGI. <laughs> cut the scene. Cut the scene. Cut the cameras. Dead ass. <laughs> I don't even think it's like the fact that it is a spider. Yes, but it's the sensation of having like tiny little legs. Just like caressing Eight. and massaging Eight my legs. face. And they're hairy. It's not the first time I heard that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> pig. For post-production and... The film would premiere at Fantastic Fest in 2016 as the originally scripted pen name of Safe Neighborhood, but would quickly change over as its premiere to its much more Christmas-themed title of Better Watch Out. And I highly, I highly agree with the change. It is far better. Yeah, 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 it definitely sells the Christmas vibe much more. I see why they called it Safe Neighborhood. I like the line from the movie. Um, but I, I think Better Watch Out much better sells the movie. And... I guess it didn't sell it well enough because they didn't make any of their money back. The name was marketable, the film not so much. <laughs> Speaking of marketable, let's market ourselves on head to commercial. We'll be right back after these mm, ads. Perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Our movie opens with joy to the world sung by a choir. We are given glimpses of suburban life during the holidays. We focus on Ashley, who is driving while talking on her phone, which is a big no-no here in LA. She's on her way to the learners who have asked them to babysit their only child, Luke. She nearly runs over a cat in front of carolers because of her mother's accusation that she's actually sneaking off to see her lover boy, Ricky. At the Learner Residence, we're introduced to Luke and his best friend Garrett. In typical boy fashion, they are playing video games and looking up ways to arouse women. 
have sex with women? I don't know. It's something that Gary dismisses and Luke debates its validity. Luke states that it's tonight or never. He's going to make his move on Ashley and that she likes him. Garrett is unconvinced and tries to talk him into smoking with him instead. Mrs. Lerner checks in on the boys and reminds Luke- Do you want to smoke before? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Mrs. Lerner checks in on the boys and reminds Luke to be in bed by 11. And don't forget to brush your teeth. And I left pizza money. Bob. Luke embarrassingly dismisses her and she flounces away. I dig this opener. It's classic Christmas story. Like everything. Classic, Mm -hmm. classic, classic. Uh, I do have a problem with Ashley though. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you have many problems. This is the first. Let's start here. Let me mark my list and I'm checking it twice. Oh, God. This is the worst driver. This is why I don't like teens driving. You shouldn't be allowed to drive until you're like 20. That's pretty fair. Thank you. I don't know how it works all up in Australia, but that we don't do that shit here, honey. Okay. <laughs> but I, I really like this. This feels like a classic Christmassy movie. Of course, we have to start with some Christmas song. We're going to get a ridiculous amount of Christmas music in this movie, but I do have you to have state- You have to. Tis tradition. Tis tradition. But I have to say that this movie does do it very well. I really like the choices of music that they choose, that they do. And usually it's a version that really fits the tone. So I love that. It's not just creepy for creepy's sake. Like we get a really cool montage later that totally feels like an homage to John Hughes. Yes. Well, we get quite a few montages. But the beginning of this movie, honestly, is kind of Dullsville. It's kind of Dullsville for me. It is. It is. Because she's like... You don't have a connection to this character yet. You're just dumped in on the situation and not in the way that we like. Because as she's on her way to quote unquote work or whatever, she's on her way to go babysit for the learners. And no, she's she having should this be com- packing because they're moving. Like it- She's moving. <laughs> the whole family's moving. I thought it was just her. See, it's not even implied. Oh my God. It's not my favorite opening. It's just, we're kind of dumped in this situation and you don't are, you don't have an emotional connection to Ashley yet. So you don't really care that she's going through something yet. You just know about it. I think it's because at this point, she's just a typical blonde teen going to babysit. She's not necessarily like fleshed out yet. I will say she does mm-hmm. get fleshed out as progresses. Normally you always have to put your final goal through a triathlon and this is, hers hasn't started yet. But we move on to Luke and Garrett. You love Garrett. I The minute that I I saw Garrett on the screen, I'm like, this is a character Jackie's gonna like. Because as we've done this show, you definitely have a soft spot for like the loser best friend. Like this is scary stories to tell in the Because I am the loser best friend. <laughs> <laughs> you see what you want to see. <laughs> I do. And I do love Garrett. And we'll get to it, but it's because of his character arc essentially mm-hmm. um which is why i have a spurt for him and he's also a fellow stoner hello he's a fellow stoner i have to state how else do you know that somebody's a stoner unless they have weed socks <laughs> obviously yes he does have weed socks i had to wear them today because i didn't even think about that how else are you gonna know that somebody's a stoner obviously weed paraphernalia everybody mm-hmm. does it everybody does it it's like a stamp mm-hmm. when you see somebody's pen you see somebody's socks, or you see like a pen on their bag. Or my red eyes. <laughs> How do you feel about Luke? Because Luke at this point is just a- A typical like little shit teenager. Typical little shit teenager, that's the best way They both are. They both mm-hmm. are, to be honest. Um, this, I mean, but that's that's what they're like written out to be. You don't, I mean, when we're introducing these characters and they're meant to be like typical, like horny teenage boys. One of them is playing video games. The other one's like looking up ways to hook up with girls who are way out of his league. He's what, 15, 14, 13? 12. What, he just turned 13, Jackie. 
Oh, whatever. It doesn't make you're still twelve. <laughs> um. Anyways, it's it's kind of gross, and it, uh, I guess this is supposed to be like their edgy Macaulay Culkin character, if you will. They also reference Home Alone with the paint bucket theory because mm-hmm. they try and debate if it would actually crush a human skull, I, which is it great. Would, it's it? my favorite part of the movie. I feel. I mean, depending on how on how full the paint can was, it would. Let's go test it out. <laughs> I, they're there. We get an introduction to them. I'm more interested in the relationship between Luke and Mrs. Lerner because we get this little quick back and forth where she's obviously showing that she's still an overbearing mother and Luke is embarrassed and quickly dismisses her. I do like her character. I actually love her character. I love her interaction between her and the dad. They are my favorite comedic parts of this movie because half the... Sh- Half the shit that comes out of their mouth shouldn't be coming out of their mouth. But to me, their relationship just feels like that bickering couple who no longer have an understanding of people outside of their relationship. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. they're just like fighting at a 7-Eleven because why not? Yeah, I agree. I do like that too. It's just something that she says later on in the movie, which is actually coming up really soon. When she calls him a Yeah. Uh-huh. A baguette. A baguette. Mrs. Leonard comes downstairs to find her husband complaining that his ornaments have not made it to their Christmas tree. She complains that they're gay and then starts to question his sexuality and whether or not he has sucked another man's dick or not. It's very insensitive and and I think it's funny. The only reason why I think it's funny is because I've seen couples fight like this and it makes no sense to me because heterosexuals are constantly questioning each other's sexuality like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're constantly as one should <laughs> are you a gay you gotta tell me if you're a gay <laughs> you gotta tell me if you are shortly after though ashley arrives and mr Lerner greets her at the door and is just an overall creep with ashley everybody's a creep with ashley they discuss that ashley's moving to pittsburgh in a few days and that she couldn't leave without saying goodbye mrs Lerner pulls ashley aside as luke and his dad take the garbage out and while this happens mrs Lerner says that luke has been sleepwalking again so she shows ashley how to balance a pencil on his doorknob so that they can verify that he's been sleepwalking she also states what he doesn't know can't hurt him and hides the pencil underneath the rug in the hallway. Obvious foreshadowing. Thank you very much. My favorite is those foreshadowing shots of like, we're going to stay on this weird pencil for 10 seconds. So that Li- can- Literally, Jackie. Literally. Literally. Like this pencil got its own shot. They had to light it. <laughs> they had to set up the camera. They had, it was a 16 shot take, Jackie. I love Mrs. Garrett explaining everything. I want to talk about it because I do understand this segment of her questioning if he sucked another man's dick and it goes on for a minute so i do understand the comfortableness but the thing that that for, for me and i'm just going to address it is that this movie really does horror comedy and it really tries to do horror comedy tries to mm-hmm. play the balance on both my debate is that i don't think it does both well i don't think <laughs> horror it, in terms of i don't think that it's scary enough that I would be like, yeah, this is a great horror movie. And it's not comedic Funny enough. enough to where I think it's like, yeah, this would be more classified as a comedy. I think it tries to do both. And I think it by failed doing at that, both. I don't think it failed at that. I just think it's okay. Like it's okay because it does a lot of offensive stuff. Like it, it does this gay joke. We get really disgusting sexual harassment stuff from Luke later on. Yes. We get unnecessary touching. Mm-hmm. We get gaslighting. We get just horrible behavior from a guy to a woman and honestly i don't think we get a satisfying conclusion enough to be like yeah she got she got him because she Mm -hmm. doesn't 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to let that be mm -hmm. known because I will save my feelings for that. But this is where I feel like the comedy comes in and it gets really like we're trying to push some buttons. Mrs. Lerner is giving it all that she's got. And I do think that she's good. And then we go away and then it's just a babysitter movie. I just feel like <laughs> it, 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 it tries to teeter both. And I don't know if it succeeds well on both. I, feel I like agree. I, I feel like I just dragged this shit to the ground. <laughs> you sure did, but I was ex I was expecting that. And your points are totally valid, 100% valid. I know that I enjoy this movie, but I know that this movie has many problems. And even I'm offended by it. I didn't enjoy that interaction between Mr. and Mrs. Lerner. I definitely felt that there could have been a different way of writing this. That it could have gotten, it could have gotten, it could have been a comedic, and it could have b gotten their point across about what their relationship is like now. But I digress. Yeah. It's I, it's a dark comedy Christmas horror movie. Like I'm not, this isn't for your consideration. So uh, it is what it is. It's, it's, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to tread too much on it because this movie knows what it's trying to do. This movie mm -hmm. knows that it's trying to push buttons. So that's why I don't want to discredit it. I guess just because of that, I'm not fully able to enjoy it because I feel like will make me laugh more, like make me like scared more because it's trying to do both. And I feel like you should just like really focus on one. Like my best example is Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is yes, a horror comedic movie, but what it does is that it takes itself seriously as a zombie movie that just so happens to be really fucking funny. Hilarious. I feel like this has trouble doing that because th I still laugh at certain moments and I still think certain moments are <laughs> you know what did he say <laughs> but i feel like it, it could it could it could lean in more garrett heads out first wishing luke good luck then mr and mrs lerner head out but not until overbearing mrs lerner gives luke some last minute rolls um before we move on with the story beats can we talk about the production design because if we haven't already the way they built these doors to make that kid seem way smaller and younger than he actually is because the doorknobs and the locks are literally so high on every single door they're like up to like like the neck, the head, like it's what? Thank you for bringing it up. Remember earlier, y'all can rewind. I said, I have to talk about these sets really quick. I don't, I did not get the same sentiment, Jackie, that this was like not a set. This is very blatantly a set because I feel like it's lit too, it's lit too well. Too well. <laughs> it looks like a commercial. It, honestly, I'm waiting for like a Vera and its symptoms or dizzying and headaches. Like for some reason and then the reason why the door handles are that high is that because this was made in Australia, they based the movie around that they based the house around a Victorian Australian home, which doorknobs were for some reason extremely high. This isn't a cue to make him look smaller. This is literally how the whole house is made. The doorknobs are so distracting for me, and I could just be a lousy American. I'm sorry, but they're so distracting. Every time I'm expecting them to run into it. I ran into a doorknob. No, Seriously, no, <laughs> that thing could take out your your eye. It, I agree. That's why I wrote it in the notes because it's very distracting. I I thought they did it to make him seem younger and smaller than it was, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense because it's just like it's the same height for the parents and for the babysitter. Like if you were trying to make him look smaller, you would change it. I didn't pick up on the fact that like I'm not versed in Australian history to know that she's that's not versed. How... Period. <laughs> <laughs> Off. That's not how whatever it is what it is i'm moving on 
With the house now empty, Luke tries to get Ashley to watch a movie with him, taking a page from the article he read earlier. But he's quickly shot down because Ashley has a phone call to make, and she tells him to play some video games instead. Ashley walks to the kitchen to call her bubble butt boyfriend, Ricky. Mm. Mm. She just needed some space and to say goodbye to everything. Luke is listening nearby. Her conversation is interrupted by a huge, disgusting spider that seems very out of place in the scene. Ashley screams for Luke to come and kill it when he responds, but he didn't do anything wrong. He's able to catch and release the spider outside. Ashley ends her conversation by telling Ricky that maybe he can come over if kiddo falls asleep early, which visibly crushes Luke. I love anytime she says kiddo, because I have to give Luke credit. Every time that she says kiddo, you can visibly see this kid's like, you fucking bitch. I can't. (laughs) You're so going to get stabbed for that. Like, (laughs) I'm so stabbing you later. so stabbing you later. This is not fun this is not fun for me this is not fun for me this is very uncomfortable i get so uncomfortable every time that luke tries to hit on her yeah it's it gets like i I guess i can open pandora's box i don't like like there is a subgenre of like rape revenge horror in horror and anytime Mm -hmm. that someone even like lightly treads that water i get very uncomfortable that is my own that is my own trauma and i understand that but it takes me out because Luke and Olivia are fantastic actors. They sell the shit out of the script any chance that they can, they can, including Garrett. I really like Garrett's actor, especially mm-hmm. with his later on beats. This trio are what really, really saved this movie for me. I agree. They It's a solid cast. And I agree with the uncomfortableness. And uh, I don't know, maybe that was the point. I don't know. I don't agree it is. that you shouldn't make your... But I sh- I, maybe it's just our own thing that we're. it's that uncomfortable mm-hmm. for us. But it's very uncomfortable. The fact that this child is like coming onto this like adult woman, essentially. It's just uncomfortable. And clearly he's he's still very much a child because he's unsuccessful. Clumsy. And clumsy, has no game. Well, his game is what he thinks like machoism is in like TV and film and stuff. Because mm-hmm. he like degrades her and like makes fun of her and like antagonizes her. Like total kid move of what they think like how you're supposed to hit on someone mm-hmm. and multiple times she tries to check him and i enjoy those moments because i love checking people any chance i get so don't come into the store thinking some certain way girl because i will check you out Ooh, she's intimidating my little five four self get out of my store <laughs> <laughs> After tossing in a load of laundry, Ashley ventures out to search for Luke in this mansion that they live in. And it really is just an excuse to give us a layout of the home. She decides to sit down and watch TV instead when Luke startles her with the popping of a champagne bottle. He tries to impress Ashley by chugging it, but she quickly scolds him instead and demands he give her the bottle. He reluctantly gives in after taking another long swig. Ashley heads into the kitchen and closes an open door on their way there. We get an outside shot of a swing swaying. Ooh, yeah, it's in there. <laughs> Back in the kitchen, Ashley pours the champagne down the drain, but not after taking a swig for herself because she gets another unwarranted call from her boy toy and he has some choice words for her. Luke catches her drinking the champagne and tries to shoot his shot once again, but Ashley curves his ass by ordering them a pizza. They get a phone call from no one, so they retire into the living room to watch a scary movie. They have a small back and forth where Luke states that he's not a kiddo, and Ashley gives him false hope. Ashley realizes that she never ordered the pizza when (gasps) the doorbell rings. 
and there's a pizza delivery ready to go. Luke says that his dad must have ordered the pizza, but Ashley isn't convinced. <laughs> you know, now that you mentioned that it's a set and she like does this little laundry and we get this huge, like I said, layout of the house. Now I'm realizing it's a set. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> the illusion is shattered. This is where it gets even not Creepier. more uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it yes. gets kind of creepy. Call it what it is. <laughs> Call it okay, what it is. fine. This is where it, it's weird. Okay, it's weird that this child is low-key already becoming a predator. <laughs> low-key, high-key, every key. He's hit the piano and just went right <laughs> on down. There are red flag after red flag after red flag that this kid is going to be a horrible adult. That's why, I guess, spoiler alert, the twist when it comes, I'm not shooketh. I wasn't surprised when the twist came forward because his actions here don't sit well with me. So I guess that's me like reading my red flags and like be aware of this character. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is just uncomfortable. I really don't like the scene of him drinking and him like being like, oh, I drink more than Garrett. Like, <laughs> like a kid's version of what adults do. Like the, all, mm-hmm. all I see is a kid trying to be an adult. And clearly so does Olivia because she does try to shoot it down. But she's stupidly t- Ashley, <laughs> whatever. Ashley makes the mistake of giving him false hope of like, if you were older, we yes! could totally be a thing. And I'm like, sis, I know you're trying to calm him down, but the... He was already giving you red. He was already giving you so many red flags. Like this yeah. is like and this, it's a child. this house is littered with red flags. There's a red flag on the roof. There's a red flag in the chimney, and you're still like <laughs> <laughs> everything's fine. Because he also gaslights her because she takes the champagne bottle away, and because she takes a swig, he's like, "Nope, I'm gonna tell, but only if you don't tell." And I'm just like, like this is gross. Like this is like Predator 101. <laughs> and he's also a child, which is very much what a child would do. Like I'm gonna tell on you. <laughs> I think that's why I just get annoyed. I just want to deck this little kid. I'm just like, shut up. That's one should. Why? <laughs> we are going to pretend we didn't hear that. But then they like, okay, so the, whatever. The scene's over. Let's move on from this scene because we're just going to keep saying it's uncomfortable and inappropriate. Because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. It is what it is. We call it a spade a spade, mama. But we're going to keep saying it throughout the movie because let's face it, Sid, the movie's littered with more moments. But from here, we go to the living room and they start watching the scary movie. And then that's when Ashley realizes they never ordered the pizza. So right when she goes to order the pizza, that's when ding dong, pizza's here, bitch. Oh, wait a minute, bitches. And we have this weird shot when she goes to go look through the, the, the little peephole. It's a weird angle. Yeah, where you only see from like the neck down, which I would not have opened the door. I would have like, leave the, leave the pizza on the porch. I will get it. No tip, sorry. I, I dig it only because it feels like we're going into natural territory. This feels like Black Christmas territory. I love Black Christmas. This is where I start picking more interest because we did call a spade a spade, but it's uncomfortable and I want it to shift and it shifts quickly. We quickly start going into scary movie territory. Mm-hmm. We get the pizza, we get the nobody called, we get the classic doorbell. Because from there they sit in silence while they enjoy their pizza and horror flick. Luke slowly inches his way in closer and puts his head on Ashley's shoulder. She doesn't mind, but removes his hand from her thigh. Ricky is calling for a third time and Ashley just can't help herself. She answers the phone and immediately gives into his bullshit and says maybe a million times and eventually hangs up. She rejoins Luke on the couch who is visibly annoyed. They continue to watch the movie and in a wide shot, we can see a silhouette of someone standing in the front window. 
A noise startles Ashley, but Luke claims not to hear anything. As the movie gets scarier, Ashley grabs Luke's hand in excitement, to which he retaliates by trying to suck face with her. She immediately stops him saying it's the most inappropriate thing ever, which it is. I just want to take a pause because but predators are us over here, like little baby predators getting ready. <laughs> sis, sis, sis. The, the only reason why I get upset, especially within these political charged times, is that it's just another white guy trying to do whatever the fuck he wants to do and mm. not understanding boundaries. And that makes me uncomfortable. I said what I said. Yeah. Well, because that's exactly what he's going to Not him personally, but that's exactly what this character would grow up to be is very much mm-hmm. that person. But then this is where, so it's, it's like we've said before, this movie quickly shifts moods yeah. because from this very uncomfortable situation, we get whiplash you're like wait this is still a christmas horror movie because we cut to this wide shot and you just see the silhouette of somebody standing in the front window and it's very creepy like we've stated before we love these like subtle scary things yeah like an i spy um so we like these very subtle things that happen so then we cut back to like their medium shot and that's when ashley hears the noise and uh luke doesn't hear anything so after the most inappropriate thing ever she scolds luke and they receive yet another phone call this time someone answers back they state, I can see you. She answers back with flipping them off out the window, <laughs> asking how many fingers she's holding up. She hangs up visibly shaken and turns off the movie. When she turns back to look out the window, the Santa lawn ornament is now directly in front of the window. <gasps> she runs to the kitchen to discover that the kitchen window is wide open. She runs and locks and yells for Luke to give her her phone. When he tosses it to her, it falls short and it lands in the fish tank. When she tries to fish it out, they get a loud knocking at the door. And when they try to see how outside, there's no one there. But the knocking continues. <gasps> Luke finally throws open the door and still we get nothing until Garrett jumps in and scares them. Hi. How are you? This movie loves to mention other... We get two different horror movie mentions in this one. We totally get Neve Campbell's classic, What am I doing? Uh-huh. What am I doing? By flipping off whoever's on the phone. And then, of course, we have to get... They're my family now. Essentially, yeah. I'm a sucker for a classic, classic creepy phone call. I adore it. I'm a, I'm a woman of the 90s, Bill. Cancun, yeah, she is starting to show. But like... <laughs> <laughs> They scold him for being an asshole, and Ashley asks what he was doing in the backyard. When he says he wasn't in the backyard, we hear a window break in the upstairs room. Ashley quickly instructs Garrett to call 911 on the cell, and as she grabs a knife and heads upstairs to investigate, they find that the source of the crash, a brick, was thrown through the bedroom window. She immediately grabs the house when it attempts to call 911. <gasps> but there's no dial tone. Kids, uh, dial tone on a home phone meant that you were connected <laughs> to cable so you can call someone. Okay. Nobody has landlines anymore. <laughs> and Garrett's phone mysteriously doesn't have service. When they attempt to use Luke's laptop to contact the police, Luke discovers that their Wi-Fi network is completely gone. Ashley tells Garrett to stay in the room and work his techno magic. To fix the problem, she and Luke go downstairs to use the security system. Only, there is no security system. How the hell do you not have a security system? We've never needed one. It's actually a really safe neighborhood. <laughs> Ashley says, fine, we can take my car to find help. But when she looks outside, there's a huge knife in her back tire. She slams the door shut and turns off the lights. Garrett makes his way downstairs and Ashley pleads for him to go down and get away from the windows. Still, Garrett slowly makes his descent down the stairs, holding the brick stone earlier. He states, it was on the other side. He shows them the brick and written on the other side is, you leave, you 
die. Just then, huge floodlights from outside and the front door turned on and Garrett flees in fear. He runs out the back door, making it as far as the other side of the yard before he is shut down, his lifeless body laying in the fresh snow. Ashley runs back to Luke and they make a plan to arm themselves with Mr. Lerman's gun. When they head back upstairs, they're scared by a silhouette in the window and then are stopped by running into the assailant upstairs. The pair run and hide in the attic via the laundry room. <gasps> Everything starts moving so quickly. I love when that mm-hmm. shit happens. I love when shit hits the fan. I love when shit hits the fan. It's my favorite. I, I'm because why? I am shit. But this movie is, I have to say, like it ramps up really well. I really like the pacing. Yeah, we need it because like we said, it kind of shifts tones really quickly on a dime and it definitely like goes zero to 60 on a dime mm-hmm. as well. Because after they sculpt, like, you get this comedic beat when they realize that it's Garrett who was, um, who's fucking with them. Garrett. And then then you hear the crash from upstairs and Garrett's like, I wasn't in the backyard. And that's really like, oh shit, there really is somebody. So it's, it quickly turns into like this home invasion Mm -hmm. type of mood. And you, they actually. Very strangers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> my favorite part is this like little joke about the security system <laughs> how the hell do you not have one he's like well we don't need one i live in a really safe neighborhood it's it's good and i think the only reason why i really really like it is that everybody sells it these three kids yeah. i don't want to overstress really sell the shit out of this script they give it their all i have to give ash the credit i would have been freaking out and she's going full ripley mode yeah, she is. She's definitely like Ripley mixed with, oh, what's her name? Elizabeth Shue from uh, Adventures in Babysitting. You just wanted an excuse to bring up Elizabeth Shue. You'd love the shoe. Don't f*** with the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> they wait in the attic until the assailant clears the laundry room. When Ashley goes to check on Luke, we get a cheap jump scare from some spiders, causing her to nearly fall through the door on the floor. Luke saves her and they leave the attic after Luke gets his dad's gun. They manage to make their way back into his room and hide in the closet. After fighting over what to do next, they accidentally set off an obnoxiously loud toy causing the killer to come back and investigate. As the two hide in terror, Ashley states, That's your mask. And then she sees the killer scratch himself just like Garrett and his itchy, scaly skin. Ashley realizes what is going on and bursts out from the closet calling out the two boys. Infuriated, she scolds the boys and burns them royally. She goes in on Luke and she says he needs therapy. Then she storms out of the room to call his parents. Luke chases after Ashley, calling out her name. She stops at the top of the stairs and turns around. And when she does, Luke pistol whips her over the head and (sighs) Ashley takes a terrible fall down the stairs, crashing at the bottom. Garrett comes out to see Ashley's body sitting at the foot of the stairs and asks, what the fuck did you just do? Luke just stands there examining with the gun to his cheek. The film cuts to black and our movie ends. Just kidding. <laughs> this becomes a whole different movie. And I do like that shift. It, it is fun. But like I said, it's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. He's going to be crazy. Like it's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like th- this character is going to be the next Jason Bateman. Ah, very true. I, I understand that you said that you saw this from the beginning, I was still gagged. I was genuinely gagged. Like I knew this kid was like a little shit from the beginning. Like I knew that they, I knew there was something going on, but I thought that it was gonna be one of those like, 
oh, we actually, like, yes, we were trying to prank you and we were trying to do something, but this is real and this is actually happening. That's what I thought was going to happen. I wasn't expecting him to, like... Coordinate this whole plan? Turn into a psycho. I, and I wasn't expecting him to turn on her and hit her because he likes her so much. So when that happened, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I know this kid's crazy, but he went full psycho at the age of 13 when I was expecting that to not hit until 16. At least let the hormones kick in. <laughs> I can see that. I don't want to discredit that. I can fully see why you thought the the, the twist. Because that's the big thing about this movie. Everybody states, don't watch anything. Like we stated, don't go in this with any preconceived notions. Really try and just like ride this thing out because it's a ride, honey. This is, this is the, I'm going to state it again. I feel like such an asshole. I'm on board with everything because these actors are just so good. I really enjoy, because this is where the relationship between Luke and Garrett gets so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I really love the dynamic of Garrett as just like, it, it's described in the behind the scenes that they developed Garrett's character to mimic what the director had felt as a kid, as wanting to never let his rich friends know that he's poor. And it kind of gives that, exact emotion like you understand this relationship immediately and that's totally credit to both of these actors and because of that i get so invested so quickly because you immediately know garrett doesn't want any part of this he didn't expect all of this to immediately turn oh for sure you can tell that um luke is like quote unquote the alpha and uh-huh. Ugh, Garrett, i hate that terminology i know but like Garrett's essentially like his goon or whatever like the mm-hmm. best friend is just kind of strung along and he's very much like ashley states later like manipulated into things mm-hmm. and at that age that very much happens to a lot of people i would say i'm not even yeah. just boys or girls it happens to everybody so yeah i you know this this relationship is very much believable and it, they totally sell it They absolutely sell it because we get the full cut to black. We open back up from the point of view of Ashley. She's duct taped to a chair watching Luke collect the props and lights from his shenanigans. The boys are arguing fuck, Mary kill with the women of Adventure Time. As the boys discuss Princess Bubblegum and her flavor, Garrett crashes off in his scooter and he's been riding around the house stating that the oxy he's on feels awesome. The boys make their way over to Ashley after she's made some noise. Luke messes with her, drawing lips on her taped mouth. She agrees not to scream so he can take the tape off. She begs for him to untie her, but Luke wants to play truth or dare instead. Ashley refuses, of course, but Luke shows her his insurance policy. A small eyedropper full of a liquid he says he got off the, quote, playground. This little f- This little shit. He's like, you want to call me kiddo? I'm going to be a kiddo. I'll be the biggest kiddo you ever kiddoed, kiddo. (laughs) This twist and how she's now being held hostage. And Mm -hmm. essentially, they're just like, they're going in on this like, all tea, all shades, like a white boy trope. That's so upsetting. And he's- It's very funny games. Have you seen funny games? Yes. I, well, I've seen the remake. I haven't seen the original. But yeah, it does give me funny games vibes. Although funny games is a whole different monster on its own. That is some scary <sighs> right there. Nightmare inducing. Nightmare inducing. Mm-hmm. That's trauma, mama. This We get more of this relationship between Garrett and Luke and just more of them pushing the fact that they're horny teenage boys, which I don't really care for. Um, we already had enough of that in the beginning of the movie. I didn't think we need to expand on it anymore. And talking about, We're talking Princess about Bubblegum. Bubble 
it's very, I don't want to hear that language coming out of their mouths, but at the same know. time, the language that comes out of mine, I've got no place to speak. We're also adult males. We're not 13. Valid, very valid. But I, I don't mind the dialogue. I understand what you mean by like, <laughs> I don't need this horny boy, like bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really interesting just to see that it does go here. We're, we're, it wants to make you acutely aware that this up shit is by two very young teenage boys yes like they want you to be fully aware of who is playing these games because i don't like any of these games Uh, how do you feel about luke's i guess transformation because i did i don't see a transformation i know you don't see a transformation i don't really see much of a transformation either i do see him showing his ass and his real Mm -hmm. like his true true self is what i see um, I agree that there's no real like reveal. Oh my God, Luke's evil. No, bitch. All 13 year olds are fucking evil. Oh my God. <laughs> That's the true tea. That she's <laughs> spilling the tea today. This is him really showing his ass. Like at first he was trying to, to play it cool and coax his way into essentially getting into Ashley's pants. And when doing it the other way didn't work, he had to change up his tactic and essentially do with i'm i'm sorry to say it but essentially do with what white men do when they don't get what they want the first time around they're gonna try and like they're gonna get it any way they can if they take it see that you're right and that's the icky stuff that i don't like because that movie continues to play with this and usually within horror movies this isn't an uncommon trope of uh, violence against women unfortunately like that is what horror mainly pertains of mm-hmm. but usually the woman rises to the occasion or the protagonist rises to the occasion and has an overcoming and defeats their protagonist this feels so mean that's why like i have problems with it because we i feel like as the movie goes forward and it progresses we kind of lean away from our final girl and side with our our mm-hmm. antagonist mm-hmm. it's very or at least it tries to I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Horror has created its foundation on terrorizing women and horrifying women. And so, yes, we get that in this movie, but we don't get the retaliation of the woman, of the woman overcoming. Um, and spoiler alert, obviously, but like we, we never get that until the end. And even then, it's not satisfying enough because mm-hmm. we don't see Luke get his comeuppance. We don't see Luke get his comeuppets and we see him continue to plan. Like it it, yes. it feels it feels like we just switched. Like we don't care about her. All we cared about was him this whole time. But you still want me to feel for Ashley. That's where I that's where I'm like, uh, uh, uh. I think they left it open like that to try and lead into a sequel, which I don't think we're getting. We're not getting it, honey. Five years now. <laughs> He's literally already tra- uh, Patrick Bateman right now, so there's no point in getting a sequel. Just go watch American Psycho. That's him. That's the That's sequel. The sequel. <laughs> they finally begin to play Truth or Dare, and Ashley starts. She chooses Dare. Luke asks how many men she's had sex with. She says none, and Luke attempts to call bullshit, stating that everyone knows she slept with Jeremy. She corrects him, saying no, she didn't, and that that's the reason why they broke up. It's because he went around telling people that they did. After an awkward beat, Garrett dares Luke to, quote, touch her tit. When Luke does feel Ashley up, he gets an erection and Garrett teases him for it. When he does, Luke shoves him and Garrett shoves him right back. Luke goes all weird and states, don't push me, dude. I'll kick you. Hold on, I have to do this. Don't kick me, dude. I'll kick your ass. (laughs) <laughs> no it's more like a don't push me dude i'll kick your ass it's 
Uh, we'll, we'll talk about our feelings after we get through this beat. Luke pushes the chair further back for no reason, and they continue their game. It's Ashley's turn, and she asks Luke. Luke picks Truth, and she immediately asks, Did you ever tell Garrett that you're the one who killed his hamster? Luke answers quickly and tries to move on, but Garrett has a few questions. Luke answers them and orders him to move on, but Garrett is visibly upset and wants to leave. When he attempts to leave, Luke chases him to the other room where they have an argument about the night's plans and how they've skewed. Ashley is able to get a flashlight off the counter and attempts to contact neighbors by flashing their windows. The boys make their way back into the kitchen and catch Ashley in the act. Luke spells out his plan and he's going to drug Ashley via the mystery liquid he got from school that he's poured into a liquor bottle making it look like she raided his parents' liquor cabinet for one last hurrah before moving. He states that in the morning she won't remember any of this. She attempts to talk her way out of it, and when it doesn't work, she headbutts a bottle out of Luke's hand, and just then, the doorbell rings. Luke orders Garrett to watch her and clean up the mess. Here we go. Here are the fun and games. We're playing Truth or Dare, and it's going to get real uncomfortable real quick. Classic in high school. Right? (laughs) So they try and, like, be cutesy or whatever and find out how many men she slept with because they swear it's that Ashley's a slut. Cute. It is not cute. No, I say is... they try and be cutesy. Oh. Yeah, they think it's fun and cute to ask her how many men she slept with. And in all reality, it's very inappropriate. And they just assume that she's a quote slut because she had two boyfriends. But the, I, the truth or dare is just like, it's a truth or dare. Anytime truth or dare is played in real life and in a movie, that shit is uncomfortable. It's, <laughs> and not only that, it never ends well. It, it never. never ends well. Have you ever seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, bitch? It never oh, ends well. That's a good one. I've never seen good stuff happen out of truth or dare. No, never ends well. Don't Eva, play Eva, it. Eva, Eva, Eva. Don't play it. This is a warning now. Warning, warning. Anytime someone wants to play truth or dare with you, they're trying to sleep with you or ruin your life. That's all mm-hmm. I know. Go pull out the Ouija board if somebody wants to play Truth or Dare. Oh my God, just to redirect it. Play something else. <laughs> so we get this awkward game and it gets even worse when Garrett dares Luke to, quote, touch her tit. First of all, what a very, like, 12, 13-year-old thing to say. Touch your tit. Mm. Nemo touched the butt. <laughs> it's very much that vibe. And, and thank God they don't cut away to him actually feeling her up because it actually goes on for a, a nice little beat. And then I love when he's like, had that feel. She's like, like a child just felt me up. <laughs> Come through, Farah. Like Chucky's plastic doll just came and rubbed up on my nipple. <laughs> like, what do you want from me, kid? It, it just, it's very uncomfortable. It is extremely uncomfortable. And we get an even more uncomfortable beat of him popping a boner, a boner. God, I know, I know. And then Garrett makes fun of him. And then we get the very, which I... He did not sell, in my opinion, whatsoever. This beat where he tries to be like- Threatening? Enraged, yeah. And he's like, don't push me, dude. You're still too low, you're still too low, too many octaves. You need to be like up high (laughs) like a hamster. Exactly. He is ticking every single box of just being a shithead. You are a complete shithead. You are going to rush a fraternity and you're going to get in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I like how the movie progresses just in terms of like, it knows its beats, it's going to play the beats, and we're going to move, we're going to move, we're going to move, we're going to move. Because I forgot that in this movie, there aren't many players in this in this particular movie, and I like it's one setting, but it moves so quickly. It moves ridiculously mm-hmm. fast. Because from here, Luke turns on some Christmas music and goes to the door, and it's a lover boy, Ricky. He's come to see Ashley with flowers in hand. Luke says she doesn't want to see him, and... 
that he can't come in, but he will give her the flowers. When he opens the door to Ricky, he pushes his way in anyway. Ricky starts to call out for Ashley and begins to search the house for her. Ashley manages to knock herself over in the chair, causing a loud noise, which gets his attention. Garrett jumps out, stating, He killed the rat! Ricky makes his way... <laughs> Ricky makes his way upstairs to continue his search. As he makes his way down the hallway, eyeing each room, he stops at the room and startled when he sees the broken window. That's when Luke comes up behind him and knocks him down with his bat. Luke does a premature celebratory dance when Ricky gets up and knocks him down. That's when Luke finds the pencil his mom hid under the rug earlier and stabs Ricky right in the cheek with it. Ricky pulls the pencil out and grabs the bat to hit Luke when Garrett comes to the rescue with a gun in hand. When they get Ricky to his knees, Luke gets up and knocks him unconscious. Garrett freaks out, saying that they're going to get caught. Luke assures him that they won't. We get a small montage of the boys cleaning up the mess made by the debacle, and we cut to them devising another plan in the kitchen with a now bound and gagged Ricky. First of all, Luke was stupid to open the door and think he was going to be able to, like, hold Ricky back like he wasn't just going to push his way in there. I think he wanted him to come in. He's far more conniving and far more critical. That's true. But can we just mention that what teenager looks like this? Because Ricky is fine. Cheekbones (laughs) that can cut diamonds. Excuse me. (laughs) He's pretty cute. I wouldn't say he's fine, but he's cute. I like the uh, Luke from him, Grease Monkey or Jiffy Lou. Why is he calling him that? Does he work at an auto place? I guess he does. I don't know. I think he thinks he's clever. (laughs) But (laughs) I like the tension because the tension feels like a home alone movie and like oh he's trying to make sure he doesn't get caught that he's he's here by himself we can't let people know that the house is to myself Mm -hmm. like that's fine and it treads that comedic line this is where another tonal shift happens because i feel like we're led to believe that luke isn't gonna really do anything that luke is just gonna let ashley go this is why garrett's still playing along once he knocks out ricky garrett starts realizing very quickly that oh Luke might be crazy. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around to see for sure. But I I think <laughs> I agree. This is we take another shift tone. First of all, why did Ricky come in and just take a slice of pizza off the table? That was rude. Should have asked. Curious. That was for everybody. <laughs> so he gets searching around the house, and then this is where we get this like little fight between Ricky and Luke. Luke thought he could take him down with just a little pat pat the back of the head with the bat and he prematurely celebrates and when he does uh ricky chases him down knocks him down just when he's about to take a good whack out of him before stabbing him in the cheek i forgot about the stabbing in the cheek that was brutal brutal and then he rips it out oh i like all i like it i like it see that's where that's it that's kind of where it's at for me for this movie is that i like it because we keep trying to bounce back and forth between the horror and the comedy and we don't really know how to balance both because his victory dance is such like a john hughes like tom cruise risky business (laughs) like like, let's slide in and like do a quick dance and then get serious again because we stab somebody in the cheek i think it's good at pulling the rug underneath you but the movie keeps trying to do that and it gets to a point where I'm just like, just get there. Just just like turn the car on, stop turning it off. <laughs> <laughs> While they define their plan, they discuss that they now don't have anything to rupee them with and that Ricky has a hole in his face. Ashley pitches an idea, but quick Blue quickly shuts it down as he doesn't trust her. Ashley, defeated, asks what Ricky was even doing there, that he was supposed to wait for her text message. From under his gag, Ricky says that, the, he, that she did text him and that he can even check his phone. After a beat, both Ashley and Garrett realize that Luke did text Ricky. And Garrett, visibly upset, tries to leave, and Luke consoles him, telling him to relax. Take another o- 
taxi if you have to. Luke fishes Ashley's cell out of the fish tank and look, it magically still works. Because he wrapped it with a uh, Sarani. Oh, did he? I didn't even notice mm-hmm. that. Oh, I mm-hmm. totally missed that part. Reporting. He orders Ashley to call her ex, Jeremy, at gunpoint. When she refuses, Luke improvises and calls him himself. After a quick back and forth in which Jeremy refused to Luke as that little taint that lives on Claremont that makes Ricky laugh. The whole time Ashley has been cutting away at her tape with a glass shard she picked up when she fell over. When Luke hangs up the phone, he threatens Ricky with the gun again, to which Ricky responds with pissing himself, causing Luke to clean it up and, and take the trash outside. While he's outside, Ashley manages to get one arm and one leg free. When Luke returns, he shames Ricky for his smelly piss and attempts at making the two copulate for his viewing pleasure. But before they can dive into the couple's sordid history, Luke realizes it wasn't Ricky's urine stinking up the house. Garrett is smoking a joint in the living room. How do you feel about the Ashley's escape? Because I really do think it's a really good sense of tension. It really does play to its strengths because this whole, this kid loves to monologue. I love a villain who loves to monologue. I love people who over-explain their plans. I love it. I don't know what it is. It's the theatrical kid in me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I can't help it. I love a good monologue and he does it a lot, but she's able to break herself free out of here. And I think it's a really effective use of, of tension. I agree. I think you, we needed some sort of tension. Like they mm-hmm. couldn't, especially with a final girl, like she's not going to just sit there and take, especially not from no punk ass kids. So punk I like kid. that she's using her, whatever she can to her advantage. And it just so happened that she found a glass shard on the, on the floor and she's using it to cut the duct tape open. And in return, she ends up cutting the shit out of her hand because her hand's bleeding a lot so much so that she has to sop up the blood with her sock. So let's talk about the little taint on Claremont Street. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was hilarious. A fantastic line. I'm only going to call little shits little taints from here on out. <laughs> this is also supposed to be more development of him being like a super evil genius. He's had all of these plans all along. And you don't believe it? No, I really <laughs> don't. I don't. I'm not shocked as an audience member by it. And I think it's just because his, like, everything he's done up to this point has been shitty and manipulative. So when he's revealed to be shitty and manipulative, where's the gag? Like, I saw your reveal before your reveal even came out. Like, your reveal said reveal on it. Like, I don't know what you want from me as uh, as an audience member. And I think that's why I have problems. And that's why I keep jumping back and forth between I like it and I don't. Because I feel like it doesn't fully juggle it the best way that it can. Yeah, you feel like it's already just like laid out there for your viewing pleasure. Yeah, because we still keep getting, I feel like at this point, we're trying to push buttons to be, to push buttons. Like when he mm-hmm. tells Ashley and Ricky to quote, fuck. Yeah, you you guys, you guys should fuck in front of me. I'm just yeah. like, it doesn't add to your story. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I'm assuming it was just like they thought it was giving Luke more to. It's not even development. It's not development. Mm-hmm. It's just him trying to manipulate the situation for his own viewing pleasure, and it just makes him unlikable more so than he already is. 
which I get, I get it. I know people are kind of going to like probably yelling at me right now. I'm like, that's the point. I'm like, I know, but is it good? <laughs> <laughs> While the boys fight, it gives Ashley time to free her leg. Both boys return to the kitchen and force Ricky to smoke the joint at gunpoint. After he takes a hit, we get a very tight shot of the smoke coming out of the hole in Ricky's cheek. They drag his chair into the living room under the stairs and prepare to home alone his ass, which means to throw a tied paint can over the stairs banister and hit him in the head with it. Back in the kitchen, Ashley has finally managed to free one arm and both her legs. She grabs the gun off the counter and runs into the living room just in time. She orders Luke to drop the paint can, and so he does. Off the ledge, it flies down with such force, it immediately kills Ricky on impact, spraying everyone with blood and yellow paint. Luke comes downstairs excited at how his Mythbusters experiment came out. When Ashley tries to shoot a warning shot, she realizes the gun has not been loaded the entire time. She makes a run for it outside. When she reaches the backyard, though, she's taken down by a paintball gun rigged in the tree. It's the same one that took down Garrett earlier. Garrett catches up to her and tries to take her down nicely. She fights him off and hops the fence into the neighbor's yard. Just as she is about to make it out of the yard, heading for the carolers outside, she's taken down with a blow to the head with a brick. And yet this movie loves to cut to black. We have our third cut to black. Yes, they do. Uh, it's a, it kind of takes you out a little bit, but whatever. I don't mind the taking out only because I feel like this moment is really, this tonal shift is my favorite in the movie. Not the reveal of him being a little sadistic shit, not the twist of him knocking her out. It's this one. This mm-hmm. is where I feel like everybody's suddenly like, oh, this shit's real. Because this Home Alone death is the best death in the movie. I I think it's a great homage. I really Mm -hmm. like the way it's played out. I love that the music immediately stops and we just get a delicious when it hits his head. And we get the spraying of the ketchup and mustard everywhere. That's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. Put it on my buns and call me hot because this is amazing. I really like this sequence because she tries to fight back and it's Poor final girls. I just feel so bad for our final girls because she should have just kicked him. Kick him in the balls. I, I agree wholeheartedly because the this Home Alone thing was referenced earlier in the movie about the paint cans. And so when they drag Ricky underneath the stairs and he's trying to figure out what he's doing, he's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to finally put this experiment to test, Mythbuster style. And I just, it's one of the most creative deaths that I've seen in a, like, Christmas horror movie in a while. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a great reference to Home Alone, like to <laughs> to take it to the like extreme and actually kill somebody that way rather than just like hurting them. And I, I agree, it's very graphic with the splatter of yellow paint and the blood and then this, the use of silence. It just, it really brings this like kind of campy horror movie down to like a serious note and like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he just killed him via a paint can. That's fucking wild. And then Ashley finally sees her, her ticket, her point to like make it out. Yeah, to make it out. And then Gary does a horrible please, job of trying to get her please in the come house. Back inside, please, <laughs> please. And she fights him off as one should. And then she's this close to making it, this close to their carolers. They even hear her. And then she just gets taken down with a brick. I agree. Garrett's moment and all of that excitement i feel so bad for ashley having to fight with the chair this poor girl goes through it this actress goes through it olivia did did her damn thing she understood the assignment and she did what needed needed to to be be done it's amazing we cut to luke enjoying some carolers on his front porch giving them hot chocolate garrett 
looks pretty apathetic sitting next to Ashley, who is now bound and gagged with Christmas lights. Luke makes his way back and the boys have a talk about how they're going to get out of this because Luke always gets away with it. He even made up sleepwalking to cover up for Garrett stealing from Luke's mom. Luke leaves Garrett to watch Ashley while he deals with Jeremy. Outside, Jeremy finally makes his way to the backyard for some reason, and Luke meets him out there. He tells Jeremy that Ashley will only talk to him after he's apologized. A written apology to the manager. After Jeremy is done writing his apology, Luke throws a noose around his neck and hangs him with the help of their electric mower. His apology to Ashley left laying in the snow, now reading as a suicide note. How do you feel about this scene? How do you feel about Jeremy? I don't like Jeremy, but I also don't... I think Jeremy, like the actor, whatever his name is, I think he's hot. I don't <sighs> like the characters he plays. I don't like the character he played in Stranger Things, and I don't like the character he plays here. He's a... Oh my God, he's the worst in this one. I prefer him in Stranger Things than in this one. He's only in it for like five minutes, if that. It's the styling for me, but uh, that's beside the point. But I'm glad we only see him for a little bit because he's quite honestly insufferable. I I like I like uh, this plan here. I like how he devised this plan. I think this is very smart. I don't know if this would have worked in real life, but this is a movie. This isn't meant to be grounded in real life. This is all fantastical and shit. This 13 year old is killing people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I I like it. I kind of like this way of quote unquote killing Jeremy. Um, I like that he staged it to look like a suicide. And then it furthers as we go on with the plot, but I, I don't mind it. I like this kill. I really, I actually really like this kill. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me because, because I would never trust this kid, a pale white kid with black hair. Anyone who gives the vibes like your name should be Willard is just not a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, children of the corn. Honestly, I understand that you don't like this character. This character, like there's like a thought every two minutes going on in there, huh? Like it's like, you can't walk and breathe at the same time. And that's a, <laughs> that's okay. But I find it so funny because he's starting to yell for Ashley and Willard over here tells him to like not wake the neighbors. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> he's fun. He's really fun. I also am like, really like he hugged this guy this quickly, but I think it's really effective. I also really like the way it's shot. Apparently... There was a debacle with filming this. Our actor who was playing Jeremy Jeremy, was just picked up for the Power Rangers movie and he was just about to leave to go film the Power Rangers movie. Because of this, his manager stated he's not allowed to do any stunts. We're not risking his career. Originally, this was all going to be like a single take of him being strung up and hung and that was it. But because he wasn't allowed to be in anywhere near shape or form of danger, we get these multiple quick shots and I actually prefer it this way. I love the shots. I love the sequence. I think his hanging is really brutal. Like to see someone be strung up like that and have to suffer is a lot. Using the suicide note, I think is a genius inventive Mm -hmm. way to show how f***ed up this kid is. I would have never thought of this. That is an excellent story plot point. But it's the next death that I feel like is the most well-executed death in terms of, like, story beats. But I love, just really quickly, I love the last shot of just the suicide note on the floor with the snow falling on it. And it's, uh, I forget it's what it's It's a it's wonderful said, life. Like, yeah, like, dear Ashley, I'm so sorry for everything. Love, Jeremy. And I was like, oh. I know. But it's so funny because he sat there for, like, 10 minutes to write this out. And he's like, this is some Shakespeare shit. Oh, my God. I'm like, Really? That is for a straight man. That's some Shakespeare shit. Wow. 
That was so powerful. Back at the house, Garrett and Ashley have a heart-to-heart where she convinces them to untie her and that Garrett didn't know what Luke was up to. As Garrett unties Ashley, he gives her a kiss on the forehead as he apologizes and is immediately shot by Luke with the shotgun. Luke screams at Garrett, saying that he told him to stay away from her. After Garrett asks for his mom, Luke finishes him off. So I have applauded these kids this whole movie, and our actor who plays Garrett, Ed Oxenbold, that line delivery, it still kills me, even though this is like my second watch, and I know how he died. This death is the most surprising to me. This is the biggest twist for me, because I didn't expect for Willard, I keep calling him Willard just because now he's stuck like that in my brain. Luke. Luke. Luke is the one to kill him. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that friend turn. And I think it's so well fucking done. I also think mm-hmm. his temper tantrum that Luke performs is, it's it's really disturbing to watch. It's like, oh, it's you very really are a kid. Yeah. It's very grounded in reality. And unfortunately, this is a reality we live in of these like like these crazy psycho like kids who will kill their best friend for whatever reason that they have invented in their head and it's 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 scary like this is the this is one of the scariest parts because it's grounded in reality and it's also because like this is where and this is essentially where this is what actually gagged you like you already saw that luke was a psycho Mm -hmm. from the beginning but this is what shocked you because he actually kills his best friend which is the ultimate in all honesty it's like somebody killing their family or something like somebody who you genuinely cared for and then you're gonna go ahead and kill them like they meant nothing to you because they piss you off and i have to give levi levi miller all the credit because he immediately has this tantrum of like why did you make me do that that also that line kills me that is straight up manipulator who will never see the other side of the coin of what they're doing but Mm -hmm. he also immediately immediately changes well, you were getting annoying anyway. And then moves <laughs> on. The, this, 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 this is probably my favorite part of the movie, which is so f-ed. I've realized I've, li- okay, I'm going to take a quick pause. I've gone back and listened to some of our episodes. My favorite stuff is like the most fucked up shit. I'm like, oh my God, this trauma and I, oh. is just like the best. It it's because you can relate, bitch. <laughs> the, end, the end where Garrett is just like, I want my mom. And he doesn't even get to finish his sentence. And Luke finishes him off. And yes, it was like a mercy kill. But also at the same time, it was just hard because he doesn't even finish the sentence. And it reminds the audience, like, these are children. These are children that are doing this. Yeah. So it's just, I I thought it was great. It is great. It's still that treading for me because I think if it had stuck to this sort of tone of a serious psychological Christmas horror I think it would have, it might have played a lot better for me and like what I like to absorb from horror. This mm-hmm. comedic take that they try to implant, I think kind of hinders it. I feel like if you're going comedy, go full comedy. If you're going horror, go full horror because that part, heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. Yeah, it was heart-wrenching. This is very grounded in reality. We cut to Luke and Ashley sitting down and Luke is telling her about how his mom used to come in and tuck him into bed every night and how he felt so safe being nestled in her arms. But that one day, she stopped doing it, and he's never slept well since. After shedding tears, Ashley claims she knows exactly why his mom stopped holding him, but she refuses to tell Luke. She sits there in silence, and Luke grows furious as Ashley freezes him out, and he eventually kills her via a knife to the neck, letting her bleed out while he finished setting everything up to make make him look innocent. 
We get a great montage set to Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight by the Ramones, which by the way is on my XXX mess playlist on Spotify. Y'all can I will it. totally link it to this week's episode because <laughs> it is a banging playlist, everybody. I would actually highly suggest Thank you. it. You're welcome. But uh, this is this beat right here is I love it. I love the way I it's love shot. it too. And it also it also makes something make sense from the beginning of the movie that we didn't mention with the the noise machine that he has to sleep with at night that sounds like his mom like sounds like you're in the womb still that is meant mm-hmm. for babies and Garrett gives him shit for still sleeping with it. This B right here where he talks about how his how he felt so safe in his mom's arms every night she would come in and tuck him in and hold him so tight till he fell asleep and he felt so safe there and then one day she just stopped doing it and you know he's never slept the same since and that's why he still uses a sound machine and I think this is part of the reason why he has this relationship with his mom that he does of this like hate love relationship of you stopped loving me the way that I want so now I'm gonna lash out because yeah this story beat is quickly done at the end of the movie and it's it i didn't catch it the first time and i'm really happy that i caught it this time but uh, it is an excellent beat because levi again kills it for me in a monologue i love a monologue who doesn't (laughs) love a monologue i love a monologue i cannot get over olivia's acting in this i have to give her so much credit she acts so much with tape over her mouth so the Mm -hmm. only way she can react is through her eyes and she does it fabulously especially in this scene i love an actress who can give me a single tear baby 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 give me the oscar (laughs) give me that single delicious tear i agree she's a great actor she is it's so fantastic to see and i love the ploy of we keep talking and referencing like this is a kid and his reaction to not getting a response is a kid reaction of throwing a tantrum because I'm not getting what I want. And that's what this whole thing with Luke is, which is why I, he annoys me. I'm like, just deal with your shit. Go to a therapist like everybody else. Look, she's crying. This is great. I don't like that. This is kind of our finale, everybody. This is our finale. Yeah. I want so much more. I want so much more because he stabs her in the neck and then we immediately get a John Hughes montage of the kids dancing in the library, except we're cleaning up a murder scene. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. He's cleaning up a murder scene. He's framing Jeremy and uh, essentially framing Ashley in the process to be the killers or whatnot. And it's, fingertips. And it's all fun set to this uh, great track by the Ramones. And so it's another um, tone shift that is dropped on a dime. See, listen, can you see what it, audience members, hello everybody. This is what I keep mentioning. The shift is too dramatic for me and it doesn't allow the dramatic stuff to stay. It doesn't allow the comedic Mm -hmm. stuff to laugh. Because after this, after a small setback, the little shit still manages to get back in bed with a pencil on his doorknob before his parents can make it inside. His parents come home to find a house of holiday horrors, and Mrs. Lerner runs up to find her son tucked safely in his bed. We cut to later after the police arrived, and Mrs. Lerner is holding her son while Mr. Lerner talks to the police. From downstairs, we suddenly hear someone yell, This one's still alive! Mrs. Lerner gets up to see who survived while Luke runs over to the window to see the EMTs rolling Ashley out. They explain that she put duct tape over her wound to stop the bleeding. As they load her into the ambulance, she gives Luke the finger and the film fades to black. We get a semi-post-credit scene with Luke turning away from the window from the ending, stating, Mom, 
I'm worried about Ashley. I think we should go to the hospital. The end. It's too fast for me in terms yeah. of just like, there's no, there's no resolve. There's no resolve. He's just a white kid. He's going to do some more white kid shit. I mean, but isn't that a real ending? <laughs> Got it in real, real life. I agree. It's not satisfying. It's we not. don't see Luke get his comeuppance. And we, I mean, I'm glad that Ashley's still alive and she, you know, makes the getaway, giving him the finger. I think that's funny. Um, but it's it's not satisfying enough. I want to see this little shit suffer. Suffer, sister, suffer. Life's not fair. It's not even, it, it's, it is even. It's that, and it is just the fact that we don't get to see Ashley rise. We don't get to see her react. We don't get to see her actually, like, fight back she tries to escape consistently throughout the movie mm -hmm. she never gets to fight back and that's just like it feels like you this movie has constantly been trying to pull the rug from underneath us and pulling twists for me this is like the biggest pull of under the rug you don't give me a conclusion and you're you're expecting me to have some sort of like emotional response you don't mm -hmm. allow me that space to have an emotional response and that for me is just like the biggest takeaway from this movie yeah, I agree. It, the ending is not satisfying in the least. Mm -mm. And I think that's probably its biggest flaw is the ending. Because if you just gave us like a solid ending, really left us gagged like you did with some of these twists, it could have been much better. Yeah, it would have been a lot more. It probably would have given you a higher score. But instead, we're kind of just like fizzled out. Yeah. Now that we have finished this week's weekly recommended rental, what are you going to give this week's flick? Are you going to rent it, return it, or are you going to buy it? This is really hard. I'm not going to lie. This is really <laughs> difficult to rank this one. So I just want to give that, like, my final thesis, my final conclusion, is that this movie is really trying to play with, I think, very interesting themes. The actors are fantastic. I really like the direction in some of this movie, but I don't know. I do know. It's the script in some of what these characters talk about and how they talk about it. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, it's tonal balance, I think is really imbalanced for myself as a viewer. It doesn't succeed fairly well in both just in terms of like, I want more, not that it's not good. Cause I do like this movie and my final score, I think is going to be to rent it. If you're looking okay. for like a good time, if this, I think that this movie still is serviceable. It's still fine. Hey. It's still, ow, I'm not mad at it. It still plays the beats. I guess I just, I see the actors, I see the content and I just, I know you can squeeze more. There's just like, mm -hmm. you're almost there. You're almost there. You need more like seasoning. They, fell, they just fell short of buying it. Yeah, it's just like you're, so, I don't have the money this week to buy it. I may buy something else, but I'm definitely gonna rent you. <laughs> That's what totally fair. And I'm gonna have to agree wholeheartedly. I'm gonna have to rent it even though I own it. <laughs> um, I, I, I bought this movie without having seen it before because that was the okh. only way I could see it. Um, and that's not to shade the movie. I, cause I enjoy this movie. I fought to get this movie on the, on the list for this month. Um, because I think that there's some great nuggets in there, which it you is. agreed with me with. There are yeah. some great elements to this movie that I thoroughly enjoy. And I don't think that this movie gets overshadowed by the things that we don't enjoy. Um, I don't, granted, it is uncomfortable. Some of these beats are uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, trigger um, but warning, I don't think, by the way, for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't think it overshadows all the, the fun aspects of this movie and all the stupid Home Alone references. 
Um, and quite honestly, some of the pretty creative deaths. So I'm going to have to agree and rent it this week. I think it deserves to be talked about. It absolutely does. This little indie, can it be considered indie? It's 3 million. Yeah, it's an indie. Yeah, this little indie darling, I think does deserve to be seen in your Christmas horror watch list because next week's release is also a highly anticipated flick around here at TCK Video. We will be joined by two very special guests to discuss one of our absolute favorite horror films from the early 2000s helping us discuss the bizarre and bitchy remake of 2006's <laughs> Black Xmas is the wonderful duo, Sergio and Cody from the Horror Bandwagon. I am so excited. I am so excited. More guests for TCQ Video. We have more guests coming in to pick up a shift this holiday season because the video it's store is just so here. busy and we have to get more help. So Sergio and Cody from the Horror Bandwagon will be picking up a shift here at TCQ Video and we couldn't be more excited to have them here. Especially with an iconic movie like Black Xmas. She's my family now. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait to have them here. It's going to be a blast. This movie is wonderful. So please go pick it up. Go watch it. Trust me, you're going to have a wild time, y'all. Mm-hmm. Wild. Get ready for some jaundice incesty, murdery, <laughs> ice school through an eyeball type shit. It's it's the it's the Christmas miracle. If you like what you hear, you can keep up with the Queens on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. And my personal account is at STFU Ray. And that concludes this week's episode, Queerdos. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Stay safe, stay queer, and stay jolly, y'all. Bye, 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 bye